Well, hello and welcome to the first episode of the Abide in the Word podcast. I am Lauren Dick and I'm here with Pastor Mike Hovland. Hello. So we live in La Crete, Alberta, and we attend the Grace Bible Fellowship Church, of which Pastor Mike is our our uh, pastor there. And our church is a Grace Advanced Church plant through Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, California. So we're here to start our podcast, our first episode. So there might be some <laughs> things that we need to work through and learn and, and get better at this. But the idea is to, as the title of the podcast is to abide in the word, to, to look at God's word, to approach different topics, different subjects from the perspective of God's word and have some teaching through that. We would also like to have the opportunity to answer questions. So if people would have questions for Pastor Mike that you would like to submit, you can submit them at abideintheword.wordpress.com. That is abideintheword.wordpress.com. Go to the contact link and submit them that way or send them to me directly via text message or email. And for those of you that know me, you have ways to get a hold of me through social media or those ways as well if you want to submit a question to have submitted to Pastor Mike. So with that said, today we would like to, for our first episode, look at the gospel and salvation. So we want to talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Why is it important? We want to look at the different components of salvation. Um, what happens to us when we're saved and, and what, what this work is and what it looks like. So with that, Pastor Mike, I will pass it over to you and, and we can start with why is the gospel important? Yeah, some people would wonder why why start with the gospel if we're we're all Christians, we're all believers, we do we need to talk about the gospel? Is that is that important? And uh I think it, it really is it really is the most important thing. If we're not right on the gospel, we're not right on salvation, that that involves our eternal destiny. And so the gospel is is super important for the the lost person and it's important for us to remember and meditate on as believers as well and so you know i i really can't think of anything that's more important for us to to be clear on to understand than the gospel as i'm reminded of romans chapter 1 verse 16 the gospel message this good news it is the power of god unto salvation i think very clear the apostle paul especially is very clear in a lot of his writings how important the gospel is then right as we are lost we are hopeless without without christ he made a way through this good news right so what is the gospel how would you define the gospel then what is the message of salvation yeah, the, you know, gospel, I think, I think everyone knows gospel means good news, comes from the word that, that means good news. This is a, a good message, and it's the message of our salvation, how we can be made right with God. There's a verse in Job, I, I don't remember the, it's like Job 25 verse 4. Do you want to read Job 25 verse 4? Job 25 verse 4, and this is out of the ESV version. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? So what an important question, right? How can somebody be right? Or, and that, that's the same word to be just. How, how can somebody be just or righteous in God's sight? And that's, that's what the gospel is all about. And, you know, a question that I like to, to ask when we start thinking about the gospel is, what are we saved from? You know, lots of times we'll talk about being saved. Well, what what is it that we're saved from? So the gospel is this good news of our salvation, that, that God has made a way for us to be saved. But then that would naturally lead then to the question, what are we saved from? Yeah, <laughs> great question. And, and I think, you know, early in my Christian life, in the church that I was a part of, we never really talked about that very much. There's a there's a tendency in the evangelical world to shy away from those kind of questions because those are uncomfortable questions, right? What what are we saved from? Well, we're saved from hell. We're saved from sin. We're saved from God and from God exercising his wrath on us because of our sin. And so but really, it's 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 very uh, a really important question for us to understand. Uh, I, you know, I remember R.C. Sproul used to talk about that. How I, I believe he, uh, you know, he was he was going somewhere. I don't know, this story is a little bit unclear in my mind, but he was he was somewhere, and somebody was preaching the gospel on the street 
and the guy was was calling out, you need to be saved. And RC wasn't a believer yet at that time. And he says, he says, saved from what? And the guy had no idea. <laughs> the guy had literally no idea what, what he needed. So uh, he just, RC had stumped him at that point. But, but it's important for us to understand we're saved from the wrath of God. And so the good news of the gospel really needs to start then with the the bad news about who we are, uh, mm. the bad news of our sin. But then even even a step before that, so we've got, you know, the, the good news of the gospel. We Before that, we need to think about the, the bad news of our sin. But then before that, there's the good news of who God is that that makes us as sinners subject to his wrath. And so the, the gospel really uh, starts with God himself. Uh, one of the things that, that I like to emphasize when I, when I talk about the gospel is that God is the one who created and owns the world, right? right. Uh, I, you'll hear me say this all the time in my preaching that this is God's universe. This is God's world. We're, mm-hmm. we're breathing his air. He owns us, and as our owner and owner of everything, we're accountable to him. Uh, but because of who he is, we have a problem because we, in our sin, can't relate to this holy, just, and, and good God. And that's, that's who God is. He, is. he is holy. That is, he is separate from sin. He is morally pure. He is devoted to himself and his own glory and, and goodness and greatness. He is just, which means that he's got to punish sin wherever he finds it. Where, where anything that's, that's contrary to his nature, anything that's contrary to his goodness and greatness is contrary to him. And so as, as a just God, he needs to punish that. God is righteous as well, and and what that means for us. But He is righteous. Um, but I'm just reminded of when when you're speaking of God being righteous in the Judge Psalm chapter seven, and starting in verse eight, says the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. And you know, just pausing there, that's a, a very bold plea, right? To ask God to judge us. God being holy and pure and perfect example of righteousness. To judge me according to my righteousness according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. Oh, righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword and has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. And you know, just think of that, you know, as you mentioned, Mike, that God being the owner and creator of the universe, he, he owns it all, he rules over all of it, being perfectly holy and just, it really paints a bit of a picture for him to be a holy, righteous judge with our sin that puts us into a, a bad spot, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think of the psalmist's words here, he, he will wet his sword and he has bent and readied his bow, you know, using that kind of language, you know, God will judge us according to our righteousness and lest obviously we're in Christ, which we'll look at a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a terrifying picture of, of us sinning and God's just sharpening his sword, uh, as we, as we do mm-hmm. that. And that sin is going to give give birth and and the moment it does god's gonna there's a there's a time of judgment that's coming and and you know when we we think about god's judgment we think about it kind of on our human terms right it's really in in our mind sin's not really that bad right it's 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 we sin all the time and we don't even it we're, we're totally numb to it but but god is perfectly holy righteous and just and and therefore has a, a perfect hatred of sin and right. and must 
must punish it. Uh, he can't. He can't ignore sin, because to to ignore sin is really for God to ignore Himself. Right. Right. He would be denying Himself if He allowed sin, and so so there's there's got to be a, a day of judgment because of God's holiness and who He is, and 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 the standard of righteousness that God accepts is perfection, and really only perfection. Right. Uh, Matthew, go ahead and read maybe Matthew 5, 48. So reading in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So that's the, the standard of righteousness that, that Christ calls us to. That um, That's the standard that we would have to achieve on our own. And actually another verse that, that fits that, that we'll, we'll want to come back to is Romans 3, 23. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you see there that all have sinned, and I, I think we all catch that part, but one of the parts that, that sometimes we might skip over is the standard that's implied in that verse, the glory of God. In order for us to achieve salvation by our own merits, by our own works, by our own righteousness, we would have to be the glory of God. Mm. And, uh, and of course, that's a problem for us. And so, so God is, is this holy God who must judge sin, whose standard is perfection, and, and therefore he requires perfect obedience to his law. And, and really, if you think about it, that's right. Right. Yeah. Righteousness would be the right thing for us to do. Uh, but of course, we fall short of that. And and one of the verses that I, I think is really helpful in this whole thing is James 2 and verse 10. Reads, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And then just keep reading it right after that. It, it kind of expands a bit more on that. So verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So so James is telling us there that, that we have to obey the whole law. Every, every righteous statute that God has given. And if we break one of them, we are guilty of breaking the law, right? And, right? and so you're you're now a transgressor of the law. You've fallen short of God's perfect standard. And, uh, you know, I, I think to, to kind of illustrate that a little bit, sometimes the, the illustration is used of, you know, a police officer pulling you over. And let's say, let's say you were speeding and, uh, and the officer comes and knocks on the window. Do you know what I pulled you over for? Well, uh, but officer, you know, well, I was pulled, you know, for speeding, obviously, but you know, you can't say, but, but officer, I, I obeyed every other law all day long, right? I haven't broken any laws except the one. And, the, and he's going to say, well, that's the one I'm pulling you over for right now. And uh, that's the one I'm giving you this ticket for. And it, it works the same with God. And I think sometimes people don't quite realize this, that we are constantly breaking God's holy standard. We are guilty. And if we're guilty, the punishment for sin is death and, uh, and hell. And, uh, and that's, that's the penalty for sinning against a, a perfectly good and holy God. And so that's kind of the, the good news before the, the bad news before the good news. I think that's how um, Greg Gilbert put it in his book, What is the Gospel? But, uh, the, you know, it's good that God is like this. You know, we, we wouldn't want another God. We wouldn't want an unholy, unrighteous, unjust God because, because that would be horrible. It, right. it, it's frightening to even think about that. Uh, but that's who God is. And then we, we come now to, to who we are. And we, as, as men, have have broken God's law, right? We, we saw that in Romans 3, 10. It's, it's implied in James 2, 10 that we just read. We, we saw that in Romans 3, 23. Right. Another right. verse that, that does cover this is, is Romans 3, 10. And, and actually that whole section there. But I think 
just even just reading 3.10 would probably be good. So Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So there's, there's God's, God's verdict that no one is righteous, none, none of them, no, none of mankind, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, if we kind of follow the context of Romans 3, there is no one that is righteous before God. All have sinned and, and fall short of the glory of God. So we've, we've broken God's law. And, and therefore, because we've broken God's law, the penalty for that is death. And, and really, being born with a sin nature, we have no choice but to break God's law in that sense, right? Even as Jeremiah 17.9 says, you know, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. It's, it's hard to understand how, how we can live a perfectly righteous life then apart from something supernatural happening to us then, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's really the situation for us is that we are slaves of sin, and, and we could, you know, we could look up verses to show that, but that's just, that's what scripture teaches us, that we, we come into this world as sinners and our, our bent is towards sin. No, nobody comes into this world loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, nobody comes into this world just wanting to worship and live for God, which is what would be right, yeah. but because of the, the fall of Adam and Eve, our first parents, all of us have been born into this world as as sinners, as corrupted. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you want to read this, Lauren, for us, but our our statement of faith here says what we, what we teach about this doctrine as a church. So in our statement of faith under what we teach, it says, We teach that in Adam's sin of disobedience to the revealed will and word of God, Man lost his innocence, incurred the penalty of spiritual and physical death, became subject to the wrath of God, and became inherently corrupt and utterly incapable of choosing or doing that which is acceptable to God apart from divine grace. With no recuperative powers to enable him to recover himself, man is hopelessly lost. Man's salvation is thereby holy of God's grace through the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ." And then it gives a, a list of scripture references there. But and even just on that note, as as you mentioned earlier, just regarding being a slave to sin, right? That reminds of the conversation Jesus had with his disciples in John chapter eight. If you abide in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To which the disciples respond, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Just like you're saying, you know, we're, we're born slaves to sin. We're, we're under sin's control, dominion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so we've, we've broken God's law. We're, we're, we're slaves of sin. And therefore, we have to pay the penalty for sin. And the penalty for sin against an infinitely good, infinitely holy, infinitely just God is an, an infinite penalty. And that's what Scripture talks about as as hell or the the second death or just Romans 3 or Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord and like we saw in the in that statement of faith there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves out of that right no and, right. and and this is really important no amount of good works could ever undo a bad work right right if you've broken the law you're guilty of the whole thing. It doesn't matter if you do a hundred, a thousand, a million good things after that, you still would have to pay the penalty for that thing that you did, that sin that, that, that you committed, as if we've only committed one sin. And so that payment has to be made and, and we can't make it. The, the only way we could pay for our sin is if we spend an eternity in hell apart from God. Right. A- apart from the, the way of salvation, which is which is what we're going to get to next. But um, Titus 3.5 is a verse that I often go to to kind of show this idea that, that we can't save ourselves. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So very clearly there, salvation is not because of works done by us in righteousness. 
It's, mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's no righteousness that we can do to undo a single sin. And so we, we need another way. And, and that gets us back to that question that, that we saw in Job. How can a man be just before God? And again, not by our righteousness. In fact, why don't you look at Isaiah 64 and verse 6, which kind of puts this in a real stark way. So Isaiah 64 verse 6 reads, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And so in God's sight, right? Because what was what does he require? Well, perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Martin Luther said something like, in, in my best prayer, there's enough sin <laughs> to send me to hell for all eternity. Right. And yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's the bad news is that we are sinners. Now, the, the good news is that God made a way mm-hmm. to, to redeem us. And uh, it's through his son, Jesus Christ. So on that, as we transition into speaking of the work of Christ, I'd like to read a quote here from a book by Paul Washer, The Gospel's Power and Message. And he writes, The absolute inability of man to save himself from his sin and its condemnation is a constant theme throughout the scriptures. Job declared, If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. The psalmist lamented that his sin was always before him, and the Apostle Paul cried out in desperation, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Man's total helplessness and inability to save himself is one of the darkest truths in Scripture. However, it serves the very high purpose of humbling man and magnifying the power of the gospel to save. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul declared that it was because of man's impotence or utter inability to save himself that Christ died for the ungodly. Left to himself, man cannot be saved. However, God has not left man to himself, but has provided a means of salvation through the gospel of his Son. That which is impossible for men is possible with God. He is mighty to save, and he can save to the uttermost. It's such a powerful segue in that sense, having uh, just outlined the uh, holiness of God and his His perfect moral righteous standard and our complete inability to to meet that standard to do anything and it's it really does kind of give a sense of hopelessness right when if the gospel obviously stopped ended there there would be no such thing as good news on our part mm-hmm. because it just shows the 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 depth of that crevice between God's righteousness and our sin. And I think sometimes it seems that might be even something that people struggle with to understand. Like like you mentioned earlier, you know, even in our prayers, we sin enough to condemn us to hell, you know, using that quote from, I believe, Luther it was. But for us to understand then how how completely vile every single little sin is that we have. We're not talking about the adulteries, the murders, even just the hatred of the heart or the lusting in our hearts and things like that. And how, how wicked that is before God's eyes, but just in our day to day walk, not meeting his standard creates a massive separation between us and him. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where we see, you know, in that, in that hopeless position, we move over into this next portion talking about Christ and the work of Christ. You know, as we just read in that quote from Paul Washer, you know, God has made a way in Christ for, for us to be reconciled to him. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's just such good news. Yeah. I think that, that note of hopelessness is, is the right note because apart from Christ, we had no hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's important for us to realize all the glory for salvation belongs to Christ and to God. And, and he's the one who took the initiative. You know, I, th- I think that's something that we can, we can sometimes get wrong, but before the foundation of the world, even before the fall, God had a plan to save sinners through his son, Jesus Christ. And the way that that plan unfolds is that, that God himself took on humanity to live that the perfect life as our representative. And so God, the son, the second person of the Trinity, who is equally God, co-equal with God, part of the Trinity, one of the three persons that belongs to the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the son, he added to himself a human nature so that he was both God and man 
that, that he was God. He remained to be God, but he also added to himself humanity, a perfect humanity, so that he could represent us to God and become our Savior. And so he came to earth as both God and sinless man. And Colossians 2.9 is, is a verse that I like to go to to, to see that. Colossians 2.9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So in Christ, we have the, the whole fullness of deity, the, the whole godness. He, he's, he's fully God. And yet he dwells in this, in this bodily form. It's not sinful human flesh. He's came in the likeness of sinful flesh. I, I think that's Romans 8. Yeah, Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns, condemned sin in the flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He, he really had all the characteristics of man except for sin. Uh, I think that's Hebrews 4.14. So Hebrews 4.14. Let me grab that one here. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That was really what I, what I, what mm. I was getting from that. It's just that, that idea that, you know, in, in all ways, he was tempted like we are, except for without sin. And so... Christ, the God, the Son, becomes incarnate, takes on human flesh, and now lives as our representative. And he lives a, a perfect life. He's the one who fully loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hmm. He fully and perfectly obeyed God's law. He never sinned. It, it's remarkable to think about a, a man who never sinned. And uh, the holy and righteous standard that he fulfilled he did so for us. He, he had no need. He already was perfect and righteous, but he right. came and he did that for us. And then, of course, he died on the cross on the other side of that to pay the penalty for our sins. So having lived the perfect life, complete sinless, keeping God's laws, God's law perfectly as only he could, he in turn then takes the punishment that we actually deserve yeah. in, like you said, dying on the cross. He, he, he was killed for our sins, for our transgression. Yeah, and this is a, an expression of God's love for us, even mm -hmm. while we were sinners. And, and maybe you, you could read Romans 5, probably 6 to 8. Romans 5, 6 to 8 reads, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, and there's just so much in there. But we were the ungodly. We were sinners. But God in his love, he sent his son to, to suffer in, in our place, suffering in his life, suffering in his death. And that's his, that's his great love for us. And, and so we see God's love and we see... Christ's love himself, that he would come and, and be willing to do this on our behalf. Now, ultimately, this is, this is something that, that he's doing to glorify God. But, but in, in glorifying God, he loves us by saving us from our sin. Uh, another verse that I, I just love to go to for this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which explains it so well. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we see that he, that is the first he there is God, and he made him who knew no sin, that's Christ, he made him, he made Christ to be sin for us, on, on behalf of us. And the idea of this, Christ wasn't made sin in that he became a sinner, but he was treated like a sinner on the cross and he paid the penalty for the sins of everyone who would ever believe in him and so god god treated him like a sinner so that that penalty could be paid that eternal infinite debt that we owed for our sin that's paid for by christ and 
And that, if we want to think about it this way, that makes us innocent in God's Mm -hmm. sight, right? But innocence wasn't even enough. In order to have fellowship with a perfectly holy and righteous God, we needed something positive to our account. And so the death of Christ takes away our sin and makes us innocent. And now the righteous life of Christ is now imputed to us or counted as ours in, in, in what we call our justification so that his righteousness is now counted as ours. So we're, we're now treated by God as though we had lived the perfect righteous life of Christ. And that's kind of the other half of that verse. Mm-hmm. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And I love how scripture calls it the righteousness of God, because that's, that's Christ's righteousness earned in his human life. Because Christ is God and man, that righteousness is a, a God mm-hmm. kind of righteousness that's, that's given to us so that now when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He doesn't see us as ungodly. He sees us as holy, righteous, just. And now we can have a relationship with, with God. And really, in that sense, the only way we can be perfect as God is perfect is because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, right? And often in this verse, um, you hear the phrase, the great exchange, right? Exchanging our righteousness, Christ taking on our sin and giving us his righteousness. And I'd actually like to read a quote here from Jerry Bridges out of the book, The Transforming Power of the Gospel. Speaking of Christ's sinlessness and then why this emphasis on the sinlessness of Jesus There are two reasons. First, in order to die for our sins, he had to be sinless himself. He had to be morally without blemish or spot. Second, as we will see more as we continue through uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the verse that we just read, he had to compile a record of perfect righteousness that could be transferred to us. But for now, the next question is, what did God the Father do to his sinless son? And it speaks of God made him to be sin. He says, Bridges writes, The answer is shocking. He made him to be sin. This seemingly strange expression of Paul is his way of saying that Jesus was made to be the very embodiment of sin. He was made to be all that which is abominable and hateful to God, all that which is the object of his holy and just wrath. As our substitute, he was made to be the embodiment of all our rebellion, all our lawlessness, all of our despising of God and his law, and all of our big sins and little sins, even all the sins of which we are not aware. Because of the moral blind spots, so many of us have. Yes, Jesus was made to be all of that. For our sake, he was made to be sin. So what happened as God made Jesus to be sin or to bear our sin? God poured out his just and holy wrath on his own son, whom he had made to be the very embodiment of sin. In that verse, in in, uh, 2 Corinthians, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And it's really an astonishing concept to think about God doing this to his own son and how Christ, again, willingly went to the cross and and took this upon himself, knowing what the result of that would be, his, his ultimate death. And yet, because of his love for us, did that so that we could become the righteousness of God. The, the other side of the great exchange, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's important to realize that on that cross, Jesus not only, you know, tortured and crucified, but God himself poured out his wrath for our sin on, on his son so that that penalty, that infinite penalty is paid. And, and that's why, and, and maybe, maybe we'll get into this in another time, but that, that's why Jesus had to be both God and man because as he had to be a man in order to represent us on the cross and, and, and in his life, but he had to be God in order to pay that infinite penalty for our sin, uh, because only God could bear the wrath of God and, and survive. Now, Jesus died on that cross. That's, that's a mystery itself. God yeah. God died. Well, the, the God, the son uh, died according to his humanity is might be the way that we would say that. Uh, but he died on that cross. God, the son didn't die, but the, the, the mm. humanity, he, the, the human part of him died. But as Peter says, it was impossible for death to hold him. 
And three days later, he rose from the dead. And that resurrection shows us that God accepted the sacrifice, right? If, if Jesus died and and was had to pay the penalty for his own sin, he wouldn't, God wouldn't raise him from the dead, but God rose him from the dead and shows us then that, that this is the Savior, that he is the one who overcame the penalty for sin, which was death. And so by his resurrection, he shows us that he's our Savior, and he shows us that God is well pleased with that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's the there's the good news um, that that Jesus rose from the grave and he's alive today. And so now the question is, how do I get the benefits of what he did? How do I how do I enter into that that stream? That other side of that great exchange, right? He took our sin. So how do we? obtain his righteousness? How do we then have that credited to our account? Yeah. And scripture is, is really clear that it's through, I guess what we could, we could just call this through the, the work of conversion. Uh, we need to be repent and be converted. I believe that's what Peter says in Acts 2. Yes, here, Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, the question again is, what what must we do to be saved? Right. I, I think mm-hmm. the Philippian the Philippian jailer asked that question of Paul. What must we do to be saved? And the answer there is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so conversion. Going back to what I had said before, conversion involves kind of two aspects. One is repentance and the other is believing. And those two things, repenting and believing, both kind of come together under under what we call the doctrine of conversion. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be, scripture says, born again. In fact, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, probably verse 3 and 6, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, in order to see the kingdom, in order to enter the kingdom, in other words, order in order to to be saved, uh, one must be born again. And and with the new birth, both of these two fruits happen, and that is repentance and faith. Uh, even though the word conversion comes from uh, a word that that has this idea of turning in it. And so repentance uh, or turning from sin, being converted is a, is a part of salvation. It's, it's to be saved means that I turn from my sin and from even from myself and I turn to God. So in order to be saved, one must repent of everything that dishonors God. And, and that it really includes everything. And, and I think sometimes this idea of repentance can be misunderstood. But we must turn from everything that we once lived for to God. And, and so if I'm going to turn to God, that necessitates turning away from everything else. And that includes sin. I, I must turn from my sin. I must turn from all other false gods that I lived for and once worshipped, right? I, I think one of the ways that was helpful for me to hear it was we even need to turn from our good works, from trusting in those things and turn to God so that we're relying on him and what he has done in Christ and not on anything in ourselves. But we got to turn away from the world. We got to turn away from our own sinful desires. We got to turn away from the devil and and the influence that he's had in our life. And we, we turn to God to to love him, to worship him, to live the rest of our lives for him. That's That's all encompassed under this idea of repentance. And then with that, and, and really these two things are inseparable, repentance and faith 
really go together. And so right. what we're called to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Um, we're going to talk about justification probably in a minute, but justification, or we could just, to simplify it, we could just say salvation is by faith. And so I need to believe, I need to trust Christ and the really, I'm trusting the person of Christ to save me from the penalty, from the power, from my sin, and and bring me to God. So I'm, it looks like you have something to read there. Well, I was just going to say, you know, regarding the repentance too, and it, it follows well with what you just said, because as you said, you know, it's a complete turning away. And and naturally, the natural man, we, we tend to rely on our own works, on our own good deeds, on our own... You know, that's really the, the idea of most religions apart from Christianity, right? What what can I do? I do this, I do that. You know, if it's in, in dress code, if it's a matter of how people do certain things and they try to earn righteousness and favor in God's eyes because of that. So when we think of repentance, that's we're we're turning away from thinking that we can do it ourselves, right? And I think of the fact that, you know, we must change our mind about who God is about who we are, you know, and even why when we share the gospel, as you did earlier, showed the the depravity of man, showed our sinfulness, our separation from God. So our natural inclination is to think that we're good people. We're, we're good, right? You know, we're, I do my best and that's, that counts for something, a little bit of that mindset, right? So we, we turn away from even who we think we are. We change our mind about that to see and recognize our need of a savior, we change our mind about sin, you know, how much it does separate us from God. We change our mind about that. We we turn to the finished work of Christ. We look to him. We turn from our sin. We turn from our own ability and we trust in only the work of Christ as being sufficient for our salvation, right? Really encompasses the whole idea of repentance in that way as being much more than just simply saying, I'm sorry for, you know, a certain thing that I did. It's It's a complete change of heart, change of mind, which then as James tells us, also results in, in fruit, in faith without works is dead, right? So uh, saving faith, which comes with repentance, as you said, mm-hmm. it does produce fruit. It does produce a changed life. It does produce obedience. It does produce those things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, all, that's all part and parcel with, with this conversion and the new birth, right? We are, we are born again. And the first evidence of that new birth is that we turn from our sin to God and we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what, that's what, that's what we need to do in order to be saved is trust in the person of Christ to be our savior, to deliver us, to make us right with God, to reconcile us to God. And that's what Christ calls us to. He says in Luke nine twenty three, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, another verse on that it might be Romans 10 and verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The great verse. But there's this confession of Christ as the Lord and there's a, a belief that God raised him from the dead. And of course, the context before that shows us that, that we're, we're believing in the, in the resurrection kind of unto our salvation, right? We're, Mm -hmm. we're trusting in what Christ has done in order to make us right with God. Another verse maybe on repentance is Isaiah 55 verse seven. Isaiah 55 verse seven reads, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So yeah, forsake your way, right? Your your way of life, the way that you've lived. Forsake your thoughts, mm-hmm. um, and return to the Lord. And the promise there is that he will have compassion, and uh, he will abundantly pardon. So God is... God is there with open arms to the man who will turn away from his sin and turn to Christ. And, and of course, God is like that towards that man because in order for somebody to, to do that, God has already worked to, to change them, to turn them. 
And so God is, God is completing his work of salvation. But those are, those are the two components of genuine salvation is this, this trust in Christ and this turning away from sin. And, you know, this is something that God commands. Uh, Acts 17.30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So there's this command from God to repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your idols. Turn away from anything that you've been looking to, loving, worshiping and and turn to the the one true god and he will save you he will have compassion on you and this is the good news and and what what makes this good news so good is that it brings us to god now the the second part of first peter 3:18 is really important in this so first peter 3:18 reads for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So yeah, that just that that maybe that first part of that verse is so good that that he might bring us to God. And so now, right, we started. We were we were talking about how we were alienated from God, how we were separate from God, how we were hostile towards God. Now, because of this great salvation, we are reconciled to God, and and we have. God as our God, and uh, he is now our treasure. He now becomes what we live for, what we love, what we, what we value, what we worship. And we have a, a fellowship with him, a relationship with him that is more valuable than anything else that exists. And this is what we were blinded to before our salvation. Before salvation, we thought sin would bring us pleasure. We thought sin would bring us satisfaction. Uh, we pursued our own ways, our own thoughts. Now, in salvation, we have our eyes open that we recognize that God is the one that's worthy of being lived for. And our, our relationship with him kind of comes above everything else now. He becomes that treasure, <laughs> that which our, our heart desires, right? Yeah. We desire to serve him rather than the ways of the flesh. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we, I guess we didn't really talk about it, but there's a lot of things happening in salvation, right? In fact, God designed salvation to reveal his glory, his greatness. Mm -hmm. And so he, he's put a lot into it. He, you know, he's trying to show us how amazing he is by designing this salvation for us to turn us from haters of God into lovers of God. And so all three persons of the Trinity are working in our salvation to accomplish this amazing thing to kind of set God on display. And so we see there's, there's so many aspects of, of our salvation, um, things like election and predestination and God's calling of, of a dead sinner to himself, mm. the new birth we've touched on. There's the doctrine of conversion, repentance and faith and and we could we could look at those in more detail. Justification mm-hmm. and and that's really something that we sh- probably should even hit on today is justification is is this idea that we are declared righteous in the gospel that God looks at us and treats us as though we had the righteousness of Christ. Right. Jerry Bridges actually has a just to quote him again here out of his book the result of God's great exchange of charging our sin to Christ and crediting his righteousness to us is justification. Justification means that in our standing before God, we are righteous in his sight. We are obviously not righteous in our daily experience any more than Christ was sinful in his daily experience. But when by faith we trust in him, God regards us as righteous because he has credited to us the righteousness of Christ. Then just a little further down, consider this. Jesus in his humanity was just as holy as God sitting on his throne. There was not one iota of difference. And what Jesus was in his life, we are in our standing before God. Because Jesus was our representative in both his life and death. So as far as our standing before God is concerned, when he lived a perfect life, we lived 
a perfect life. When he died on the cross, we died on the cross. All that Jesus did in both his sinless life and sin-bearing death, he did as our representative and substitute. That's why the Apostle Paul could write, As by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Romans 5 verse 19. So because of God's great exchange, all who trust in Christ as Savior stand before God just as if we'd never sinned and just as if we had always obeyed. I thought those were some good clarifying quotes on the just, his justification and how his righteousness again is imputed to us and, and, and only by faith we now stand before God when he judges us as though we lived Christ's perfect life. Mm-hmm. And to me that's just mind-boggling, mm-hmm. which I, I think it's it should be. It's, it's something that is so hard to grasp and understand, but then we see the the magnitude of God's grace and the fact and his love for us in the fact that he did this for us and he made this way of salvation, right? Yeah, and that's why we could come back to why is this so important It's for even for the believer is because we need to remember that our relationship with God is not based on how well we did today in our performance. Right. Right? It's based on what Christ has accomplished. And so even though... I have fallen short of the glory of God still today and every day of my life since I've been saved. Because of what Christ did, I have this relationship that that is unhindered with God. And so, um, very, very important that we preach the gospel to ourselves daily as we recognize when we fall short of, of perfect Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. You know, then part of this, this gospel then is... Once we become believers and and we're new creatures in Christ, we're born again, now God works to sanctify us, to make us holy in our day-to-day life. And so there's, in our standing, like Jerry Bridges just said, in our standing, we are perfectly righteous, Mm -hmm. but in our day-to-day walk, we aren't. But that's what God is now doing in our life until we come to the end until we die or Christ comes back. God is now working in our life to make us holy in our day-to-day lives and and prepare us for the holiness that we will one day have when we stand before him in heaven, where on that day, we'll no longer have Mm -hmm. sin at all. And our standing and our practice will kind of combine together and, and we'll be holy in our standing and holy in our practice. And I'm looking forward to that day when when I never sin again and <laughs> a great day that will yeah, be, right? Never never dishonor God with my thoughts, words or actions ever again. And so that's that's part of the the good news of the gospel as well. Well, uh, and even just there you just made the comment, you know, to not dishonor God in our thoughts and words. And it's so apparent obviously in our words, our speech, something that we can control some more than others, but it's something that we have a measure of control of, it seems. You know, we can often speak in such a way that it seems we are honoring God, but what about our thoughts, right? And that's where it gets scary again, apart from the gospel, is even our thoughts dishonor God if they're not in accordance with his word and his will. And so in that way, you know, we can have bad thoughts, but not act out on them, which is usually a sign of sanctification even in that. But, you know, on that day when we are in eternity, even our bad thoughts won't exist. Mm-hmm. We'll be holy. Yeah. <laughs> and again, just showing, you know, just in, in that way, even how far separate we are from God, apart from the work of Christ. And again, praise God for his grace and salvation that we stand before him in Christ's righteousness, not our own, because we have none. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think as we think about sins of of the thoughts i think sometimes we we only think about the negative side where where i i thought of i thought a bad thought right mm-hmm. i thought a sinful thing right but then and that's sin and that's that's bad but there's also the positive side where i didn't think perfectly scripturally i didn't think utterly like christ and, uh, and so there's that positive side. I remember we, we talked about that we need to be perfect if we're going to earn salvation on our own. God's standard is perfection, utter Christ-likeness. And 
and it's a sin not to be like that. Mm-hmm. And when we add those sins to our sins, sins of what, what they call sins of commission, right? Yeah. Sins of, of not doing what we're supposed to do. No, I'd said that wrong. Omission. Omission. Yeah. So there's sins of omission where I don't do what I'm supposed to do. And then there's sins of commission where I, I do something that God forbids. Yeah. And, uh, and both of those are, are sins. Uh, and both of those will be gone mm-hmm. when we are glorified. Well, and I th- just reminded of, I, I believe it was James that, that made the, the statement, he who knows to do good but does not do it, for him it is sin. Even by not acting, sometimes we're in sin. Yeah. And that ties in, in well with, with what you mentioned there regarding these sins of omission as well. And often we may not even know because we didn't actually do something, right? Mm-hmm. And so once again, just really emphasizing our need for salvation because even sometimes in the things we do not do, those very things separate us from God. Yeah, so that is the gospel. That's what that's the message of salvation and that that's the the message that that we must believe in order to be saved. And and one of the ways and, and we, we really did just follow that just now, but one of the, the ways that I think is really helpful to think about the gospel and to remember the gospel is by this four-point outline that we use where we think about God, mm-hmm. what's what's he like, he's holy, he's the creator. If we f- are thinking in his world, we're accountable to him, right? right. And so, so there's God. And then we talked about man. Man is sinful. Man has broken God's law. Man is going to have to pay the penalty for his sins in God's world. The solution to this is in Christ, who came to earth as both God, both God and sinless man, demonstrated God's love by living in our place, by dying on the cross, rose again, and uh, to to be our savior. And then, and then we could call it our response uh, is the fourth heading. What do we need to do? We need to repent and trust in Christ. Repent and believe. And whosoever will do that, God says. Uh, Christ says that He will welcome them. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, maybe maybe you could read John six thirty seven on that. John chapter six verse thirty seven says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out." So there's that just that second part of that verse, so important that whoever comes, right, whosoever will may come. Who if you if you want to. If there's a desire in your heart to to turn from your sin and turn your life to Christ, he will never cast you out. And again, in in our understanding, we could go we'll go deeper into this in in future lessons, but in, in our understanding, that's the reason for that is because he has already been working in your heart to to show you the word, to to reveal his truth, even the things that we just talked about, so that it's God himself who is who is first initiated with you so that you have that desire that you want to turn from your sin and you want to come to Christ. And if you have that, you can have confidence that God has been working to, to draw you to himself. And so come to Christ, you know, if you're, if you're listening today and, and uh, you're hearing us talk that even now come to Christ, turn from your sins, turn to him, trust in him alone for salvation and uh, he will never cast you out. That is good news. I love this verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But to all who, do, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, the scripture also tells us, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's an amazing promise in that, as, as you just shared, if you have this desire to call upon God, to turn to him, to trust in him. He will He will not reject anyone who comes to him in true faith and repentance. Good. Well, that's the gospel. And I think that's a great place to, to end this episode, the first one here. Many other things regarding even salvation and, and the gospel, you know, Christ's penal substitutionary atonement, propitiation, things like that, that we even have jotted down, but obviously didn't get to today. But really, they expand on what was already said today, right? And it's something that we could talk about later as well. So, yeah. but I think that's the place to, to end this episode. And maybe because we have talked about salvation and the gospel so much, uh, Pastor Mike, maybe I'll just ask you to end our time here in prayer. We'll end this one here. Okay. Well, Father, we just thank you for this gospel. 
for the good news of salvation. Uh, We thank you that you are a holy, just, and righteous God, and that you are a loving, gracious, and merciful God as well, and that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin, to earn a, a perfect righteousness that we can have in him. And we just rejoice in this gospel and we pray that you would bring sinners to yourself, that you would glorify yourself through the salvation of many people. And uh, we pray for this podcast that you would, would use it in a way that glorifies you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for taking the time to listen.